Good afternoon. Today we're sitting down with, or this afternoon, yep, we're sitting down with Bob Masago, the morning host of WNRN. Thank you for joining me, Bob. My pleasure, Greg. So, a uh, little background for us. We've known each other about 10 years now, 11, 10 That's years right. through uh, mutual, through baseball's uh, umpiring here in Central Virginia. What other sports do you umpire? I do basketball and I do softball. So you are a busy man along with everything else. Right, I like to take the fall off. <laughs> I, I understand that completely. So let's get a little history about you and then kind of get you how you got to become the morning host at, at NRN, because uh, as, as I know, you've got quite a varied history. So where'd you grow up? Yeah, I grew up down in Southwest Virginia, the Cannon County near a town called Grundy. Okay. And uh, when I was in high school down there, like what would be middle school age now, but junior high age, I just developed an interest in radio, developed an interest in engineering. And my dad was a, was a maintenance uh, supervisor for a coal company. My brother, one of my brothers went to Virginia Tech, 10 years older than I am, and went into engineering. So I got interested in that, got interested in sports, found out that I was much better at knowing the rules than I was playing the game. <laughs> and much better at uh, like supporting the teams than I was actually being on the team. So I did a lot of scorekeeping and announcing and uh, managing things rather than, than playing. Kept me with my friends who were the better players, mm -hmm. but it kept me from having to practice for no return. <laughs> Fair enough. So you you, um, interest, you you said what your dad working in the in the coal business. What'd your mom do? My mom was a home homemaker. homemaker. Yep. And you have just the one sibling, one no, brother, two brothers, both older. Uh, both older. One's twelve years older, and he's uh, he was in the mining industry as well, but in a, in purchasing. Okay. And the second brother, who's now passed away, was an engineer, a mechanical engineer from Virginia Tech, and then worked for the coal company for a while, and then ran his own general contracting business. Okay. All in southwestern, yeah. state southwestern Virginia. Yeah. So what brought you to Charlottesville? You know, my wife, who we, we my wife and I met at Virginia Tech. Okay. She's from Baltimore. I'm from Southwest Virginia. When we got out of college, we got out just the perfect time. I had a degree in computer science. We both went to Silicon Valley, mm -hmm. worked for Hewlett Packard. When we got ready to relocate, we didn't want to be that far from our families. Charlottesville turned out to be the perfect spot in between. We didn't want to be in either hometown sure. because in my area, it was a little too depressed for the mm -hmm. kind of work that we did. And we weren't that interested in Baltimore. So Charlottesville was a, it was a, a, a lucky find for us to both have job opportunities here. So were you able to stay work of Hewlett Packard as, and then? No, by that time work. she had worked for Hewlett Packard the whole time. I had moved on to a startup company Okay. Uh, and I was working for a little startup company at the time. And coming back here, we both went to work for GE, what turned into GE Fanuc, which mm -hmm. is now Emerson. Is it now Emerson? Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't go up 29. Right. <laughs> no, they, got, they were sold off to Emerson. And uh, I found a job there first, coming back looking for work. When I told them what kind of work my wife did, she's an engineer as well. Mm -hmm. They said, well, you know what? We need somebody like that too. Wow. So it worked out great for wow. us. <laughs> Any children? Three, uh, two. <laughs> two. <laughs> I think grandchildren. I'm thinking grandchildren now. I've already jumped to that. Two we'll boys. get there too. All right. Yeah, two boys. One's in Florida and one's here in Charlottesville. Are they, do they kind of follow the engineering path or are they? They do. They, one of them tried not to. One of them <laughs> tried to be liberal arts. So he studied languages mm -hmm. and, uh, was, and got a degree in uh, East Asian studies. Okay. And then after a couple of years, ended up working in a, for, a, for, a, um, for a nonprofit like research group. But ended up doing their computer work and fell back into programming. He finally said, "Well, I guess I'm coming back to the fold." <laughs> so now he is a he's a computer software engineer, and the other one's a computer hardware engineer. Wow. So were you doing mostly coding and things like that, or or coding and product design? Okay. Um, the project management, but primarily my my background is software and application software. Okay. So that must have been really interesting because you were obviously, well, I shouldn't say obviously, folks that don't know your age. 
you're really in the birth of of the home computer era. Yeah, so the first, the first real popular home computers came out about the time that I got into the workforce. Uh, when I was in college, everything was on a, the old mainframe, mainframe computers and or multitasking system. And that's what I went to work on at Hewlett Packard because okay. they hadn't introduced any personal computers at that point. So that all exploded from the time that we kind of got started in that. That's great. I spent one lone summer intern in, in college uh, for the computer folks at a state farm regional office. I oh. just ran tapes back and forth. Yep. It would call for the tape, I'd run in the room and then get it in the slot. And yeah, yeah. they paid for it, so what do I it's, care? <laughs> it's a good thing you didn't decide to stick on that as a career because I'm pretty sure the tapes are gone now. Tapes are gone, <laughs> that whole unit's gone. Yeah. And because, yeah, they built that room with like three or four mainframes and now it's yeah. the size of an iPhone or something. I mean, it's just insane, the That's computing right. power. That's right. So, well, what got you, you, didn't, you said you were, doing radio and from high school and, and yeah. what what got you back into it or, so it's, or how did you continue well, it throughout it's, this? It's, it's probably fair to say that I never really got out of it. Okay. I'll, I'll have to explain why. When I was in high school, um, I just, I, I'm not even sure why. I was into public speaking for forensics competitions Okay. and also I was um, just interested in radio. I liked to listen to the AM stations that skipped across the country. My two older brothers were into that, so I think I picked it up from them. I would pretend to be on the radio when I was a kid. And I finally went, at the time, this is in the mid-1970s, early 1970s, you had to have a FCC license to actually do the kind of job I'm doing now. Okay. It was called a FCC third-class license with broadcast endorsement. And that meant you had the technical skills to operate the transmitter for the station. And they were hard to come by in, in more rural areas. So the FCC actually traveled around the country on a fixed schedule and gave the test. They gave the test in Bluefield, West Virginia, which is the closest to me. And I decided when I was a junior in high school to sign up for the test. I went and took it and passed it. So I came back to my hometown. There's one radio station, one AM FM radio station. And I walked into the station, junior in high school and said, you know, I'd like to work at a radio station. And they said, well, you have to have this license and I'm sure you don't have that. And I said, this one held it up and showed him. Funny said, story. When can you start? <laughs> because they were so shorthanded. How do you train for something like that if it's traveling around? Like, was there? There's a, a there was a, a a workbook that you could study, so you knew what they were going to be asking. It's 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 kind of ingrained in me now. But it was things like how often the station has to be identified over the air, mm -hmm. what numbers you have to read on the transmitter to know that you're broadcasting within the limits that the FCC prescribes, what's legal and not legal to say on the air, things like that. Uh, so there was a workbook, and you took the test and. Three or four weeks later, you got notification by mail whether you passed or not. <laughs> so I did that through high school. What would happen is they would call me in the mornings when there was snow day. Before I got up, they'd call and say, hey, schools are canceled today. When can you come in? And somebody would get a day off. Sure. And I, I got into sportscasting then, too. So I did some high school football when I, when I was in high school. Like that. Went to college. My they had a, Virginia Tech has a thriving college radio station. And that's the first place I went when I was being or going to my orientation and got a hook in there mm -hmm. to do that. And I, um, they were anxious to have anybody with experience because kids were graduating and other kids were coming in who didn't know anything about it. So I had a, a good end because I had a year and a half of actual radio experience. And that led into being able to do some more sports casting because our college station did Virginia Tech baseball. Mm -hmm. So I did baseball play-by-play -play and color commentary in college, which also was fortunate because the... Virginia Tech at the time was in a conference called the Metro. Metro was a basketball only conference. And it was it was driven out of a radio station out of St. Louis, a, Columbia, a, 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 a CBS affiliate out of St. Louis kind of organized this whole thing. They decided to do a national report 
and they would take stringers, people who did reports from each of the schools and put them together in a five minute package that they, that mm. they syndicated out to stations. I got the gig to do that. Wow. So I was, I was doing reports from Blacksburg and sending them into them and they would compile it. Um, Bob Costas was the host at times. Jack, the old Jack Buck, the one, mm -hmm. the, the father who passed away was also the other host. Um, and in return, we got all expenses paid trip to the tournament as press. So it was like, wow, it was terrific. <laughs> and that was fortunate because it then gave me, they exposed me at tech. And for a year I got to do the, um, I was the Virginia Tech Sports Network color commentator for basketball my okay. senior year in college. And that was, a, that was a real trip. Then I went in and then at that point I decided I've got a computer science degree and I've got this possible broadcasting deal. And I decided getting out of college to pursue something in broadcasting or pursue the computer science and looking at it financially and for, all, for, for stability and reasons, I opted to go the engineering route. And then I dabbled around while I was in California mm -hmm. at uh, non-commercial stations. Uh, Santa Clara University had a station. I did some jazz programming there and I did some did some classical programming just, just for fun. And then uh, then we moved back to Charlottesville. When I got here, the, the college station was having a reunion. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it would be a really cool idea if I could go back there and say, yeah, I'm on the air somewhere because I knew most of my friends probably wouldn't. <laughs> so I volunteered at WNRN the first year they went on the air. Okay, back in 96. Mm -hmm. Wow. And uh, I did the first fun drive and I did a Saturday show for a long time. And then I got, because I had some experience with it, they used me for substituting until finally, you know, I was substituting in the mornings whenever Ann, the previous host, was not available. That mm -hmm. was the, I was always the go-to person to do that. And when she decided to move on to, to take another opportunity, they came to me and they said, you know, if you want to do this, now's the time to do it because we're going to hire somebody. And if you want to do it, you can, you can do it. You can do it part-time, mm -hmm. um, which was really advantageous to me because I still did computer work here and I still do computer work around town. So it was just perfect timing. It was like, I tell people it's, it's like I'm taking on my second career, unfortunately, simultaneously with my first career. <laughs> so from an inside baseball standpoint, and, and if you reveal too much, just say, I'd rather not give it away. What kind of time do you have to put in? So your morning show is six to 10, is That's that right. correct? So are you live or are you taping ahead of time? How's that work? Most of the time you? it's, it's, it's uh, done and it's done ahead of time. And instead of taping, it's now called voice tracking, which is the technical term for it. It's all computerized. Mm -hmm. So we're able to draw our playlist from a digital library, which means that you don't have to sit in real time and listen to the tracks. We know all the tracks are got a list of that. So I can do all the recording ahead of time. And that will typically take for a, for a four hour show. It might take on a, on a good day, a half an hour on a bad day, an hour to do it. Are um, you going into the studio to do that? Are you doing it from home? Well, because of COVID when we, when we, when COVID came along, we very quickly before everything really closed down, we switched to a remote, we closed our office, switched everybody remotely. So I have a set of recording equipment at home. And now that the, that the biggest threat seems to have passed, offices have opened up, we've opened up our offices. So I'll do it about 80% of the time from the studios mm -hmm. and about 20% of the time from that home arrangement I have. Nice thing about the home arrangement, I can take it with me if I wanna go somewhere. That is nice. So if you go on yeah. vacation, you can still work as, exactly as it were. Right. And some trips I'll do that. like. When we were, when COVID was going on, we would take a trip in the winter just to go some, see somewhere different, rent a house somewhere. And I would take it all with me and still do that part of my job. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Do you miss the callers? You know, folks calling in, making requests, things like, I guess in morning shows, it's not as important. Yeah, as well, no, I mean, you miss the interaction with that. 
fortunately, we're WNRN is so unique mm-hmm. in that we have such a close connection with our members that that gets replaced mm-hmm. at our station instead of having to take those calls and and have the interaction that way. We have a lot of events where we invite our members to come and participate. You know, they come and hear music or we have parties or things like that. So you get that interaction then. So it really has more of a community feel to it than being at a traditional station where you take those those morning calls. Well, I guess that's fair because we last saw each other was at the 25-year anniversary. Right. Um, out, at, uh, out at Rockfish, right? Yep. Yeah, yep. 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 just happened upon each other, which yep. is pretty great. Um, how does your personal music, musical... Um, genre what, what genres you like best how does that work with nrn does it marry do, do you prefer the jazz or the classical or is it no I, I, all music is good well most music is good <laughs> I, have a, I have a wide range what i'm trying to say is i have a wide range of things that i like mm-hmm. now it turns out that prior to taking the morning host job i hosted a specialty show on sunday mornings called country feedback for a couple of years before that and that's all of a that's all all country really kind of twangy kind of that sound stuff. case kind of yeah stuff. yeah um, no. And it's a fun show to do. That's I picked that music 100% myself. For the morning programming, I and a, and a small team work collaboratively to try to pick music that we think will be attractive to the listeners in the morning, and it mixes in with the music that plays the rest of the day. And again, it's a very it's a very unusual process at WNRN because we're probably one of the only, and maybe a handful of stations in the country that will actually assemble a group of people, will listen to songs, vote on them. And then a smaller team of the, the smaller music team will then look at some of those votes and say, okay, these ones that did well, we're going to pick a certain number of them out and put into the rotation for the music. So it's very, it's very um, team and listener focused. So the mornings we do a little differently because we add some music in the mornings that doesn't play the rest of the day. Okay. So, and, and I have a big say in that. So that's a big part of it. As an, as an independent station, how do you get the latest I mean, I assume there's a corporate monster out there that's going to say, these are the bands we're pushing. And so obviously you're getting those to listen to. Do you have, do they have power to say, no, you will put this through even if you guys don't vote on it? No, no, they don't. That's, and that's very, that, 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 that kind of thing might happen in commercial radio. Since mm-hmm. we're non-commercial, it doesn't happen that as to, to my knowledge. And we also tend to play artists that are not necessarily in that big corporate mainstream. They'll tend to be independent artists. A lot of them are people who put out the music on their own. Okay. Or there's a whole, what are called independent labels that are smaller labels that focus on different types of music that's not quite so mainstream. So we'll pull from those. We also have a great selection of artists in the Commonwealth. So we try to put a focus on bands that are from Virginia. Local. Um, so no, we, we're very autonomous on that. We do compare our playlists with other stations in the country that have similar types of formats Mm -hmm. and we'll look at what other people are playing and we'll listen to it and decide if it fits for our market and as they do the same okay um have you had or are are you currently a mentor for someone in the radio world i am not um and mainly because the staff with the with covid and stuff you don't have so many we we have a we have we typically have a pretty big intern program Mm -hmm. people coming through the station that kind of shut down during COVID because it was not possible to host them. You can't have an intern working remotely. Uh, now that the, that's ended, we'll start seeing more people like that come through and there'll be people who are coming on the air that we'll, that I'll be working with. But Is that right something now, you enjoy or do you prefer um, kind of that being alone and, and no, melding it. it? I enjoy it. And, and it's not so much a mentorship. It's really interesting at the station because 
we I, we have a morning feature that is called the Decade of Difference. Oh, let's do it this morning. Right. So it's, you know, <laughs> we take an artist and seven o'clock and play something older, eight o'clock, play something newer. Well, we kid in our music meetings because we have a Decade of Difference in the music meetings. We have people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. So even though you're not necessarily mentoring someone, you are sharing the experiences you have, in my case, from doing radio work off and on since 1974, with somebody who's only gotten into it in the last five or 10 years, and the perspectives are very different. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of cross-pollination there, probably more so than the, than the mentoring directly. It's, it's, well, let's make it about me, why not? So in listening to it this morning, just happened to, to listen to it this morning with Feist at the seven o'clock wow. hour, and it was from 2005, and I looked at my wife and I said, that just doesn't feel right to have a decade of difference and it's only 20, <laughs> 2005. I want to hear 75, 85, you know, yeah. just being old, that's a problem. Yeah, <laughs> that's a, it's a, it's an interesting, I always, I pick all the, all the decade of difference artists and I, I try to work hard to try to pick different starting decades just for that reason. Yeah. So many people listen to the station that are widely differing in age ranges that, you know, what's, what's new to one person you know, the other per next person's never heard it or they, mm -hmm. you know, it's old to them or. Yeah. Uh, it's new to me, but it's old. Yeah. It's re because I stopped listening to music for whatever reason, like 1999. And, and I swore I would never do that. I became yeah. my, my parents. This is the music from my 14 to 22. This is what yeah. I'll know more than anything. That's actually been a goal of mine to not do that. Because, it's hard. Because I just wanted, and that's what I love about WNRN because of this wide range of ages it forces me to remain somewhat current. You're mm -hmm. not, you know, not, it's not completely current. You're never yeah. going to carry everything that the high school students or college students hear, but you do, you, you can remain fairly current on, on, on artists that way. How does... You'll like the Decade of Difference next week because it's going to be the smithereens. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. How do you uh, determine, or, or not determine, that's not... Not the question I want to ask, actually. When artists come through, how do you get to have the interaction with them? Are they reaching out to all the radio stations in the area? Or, or is it because your niche, you can maybe be exclusive? And because NRN has so many, I don't know, if is it, are they affiliates? Because you have so many call stations throughout the state? How does that work? Yeah, that's a good point. So they're not, uh, they're not affiliates, they're uh, translators. So they produce, they have exactly the same signal. The music that's playing in Charlottesville is the same music that's playing in Richmond and Lynchburg and Harrisonburg. So yeah, that broadens our reach in terms of artists that are coming, playing through the area. So they will be attracted to us. Most of them have promoters or, or um, record labels that will reach out to us and say, hey, we have an artist coming through. We know you're playing this artist. Would you like us to try to set something up? Sometimes we'll pursue them. Um, but most of the time it's driven on their side. And they know, you know, they get the feedback because of the way the radio um, research works. They'll have feedback on what stations are playing their music. And they'll also have some area knowledge about stations that would be attractive to them in terms of appealing to an audience that might like their music. Okay. Well, let's tr transition just a little bit, um, taking a fair amount of your time, so I don't want to keep you all day. What, aside from the umpiring and the music, what do you do for your interests and hobbies? Um, do you have time? Yeah. Well, grandchildren are one, obviously a big one now. Yep. With three granddaughters in town, so that's that's the most uh, 
that's the most joyful part of it. I won't have you pick a favorite. <laughs> and I couldn't pick a favorite anyway, because <laughs> uh, they're all they're all great kids, and it's great having my son and daughter-in-law in town. You know, and her family's in town too, so we know they're not going anywhere. And actually, they threatened us. They said, if you leave town, we're going to come after you. We're going to hunt you down because <laughs> they they love the family environment of having both sets of grandparents around. So that's great. Well, let's ask um, probably the hardest, easiest question for you, and that is, what's your favorite band and or album? Yeah, that's a really tough one. Really tough one. You know, we had a contest a while back to pick. Let's say you're on a desert island mm -hmm. and you have you can only have 10 albums. Mm -hmm. What 10 are you taking with you? And so that gives you a different perspective. You know, it's easy to say, what's my favorite album right now? Last 2021, my favorite album on our on our top 10 list when we did our votes for the, we had a top 100 list. Everybody voted on their top 10. My favorite one was a band called Manchester Orchestra. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Million Mass of God was the album. I really liked it. I thought it was just a really well done album all the way through. Now, if you told me you're going to be on a desert island, would you put that on your top 10? Probably not. But I would put Stevie Wonder's Songs in the Key of Life in there. I hope so. <laughs> um, so it's really that I think that's a that's a very difficult question to answer, because then you could also ask me as the host of Country Feedback and All Country, what's your favorite album? And I'd give you a different one. Right because it just depends on what you're listening for. It's obviously mood dependent. That's yep. why I was trying not trick you, but I knew it no. would be difficult. So, yeah. um, but, but I gotta I, ask you, what's yours? So I'm a slave to history. So my favorite band is Living Color. Yeah. It's been that way huh. since 1989. Yeah. Um, my favorite album of theirs is Time's Up. And it's, nice. But to your point, I listened, I remember one day I went to the record store and I bought De La Soul, Tom Waits, and um, Marilyn Manson. I'm guessing all at the nobody, same time. I'm guessing no one else went out with that same set of three records. Well, the guy looked at me and I went, yeah, I like it all. I don't know what to tell you. And that, <laughs> it, because it's a wide swath. Um, I've, I've grown to like a lot more classical and opera probably in the last 10, 15 years. Yeah. Um, I still can't get past bluegrass or country. It's uh, just something. And it, and it may be where I grew up and in and, and the Northeast and, and what I listened to at that time, but it just doesn't work for granted. I'm going to do a little bit of self-promotion here. Go to the website, okay. WNRN.org, and list, look for the home, for the in-studio session with Rob Ikes, I-C-K-E-S, and Trey Hensley. Okay. They are two bluegrass musicians that I just listen through the three songs they do. They do a cover of Grateful Dead, mm -hmm. they do a cover of Merle Haggard, and they do an original song. And these two guys are tremendous. And... If you don't like that, then yeah, say right off bluegrass. Okay, but you might like that because of, of what it is. They were just in the they were just in the studio last week. So the interesting thing is, I I have this aversion to bluegrass, but I like the banjo by itself. Uh -huh. I don't know. I don't quite and and not that the banjo is everything with bluegrass, but it's an interesting. You have to be really. To me. You have to be. It's really. Um, you have to be careful to look at bluegrass between the traditional bluegrass and more progressive bluegrass because there's quite a bit of difference in that, and you might find that. One flavor of that's better than the other, but not, I'm not. I'm not here to sell bluegrass. No, you're my family, my my stepmother in particular, bluegrass was her favorite. Oh, but it's bluegrass from the '40s through probably the early '70s. Yeah. that's what, and I just couldn't do that. That's yeah. not with the kid. But I say Living Color is my favorite right now. I, I've been listening to Tool huh? probably way too much for the last year and a half. <laughs> but I don't know. Well, the, the great thing about music is it's so. It's so um, location and mood dependent. Yes. You know, and your favorite is going to be strongly colored by what you associate that with. Yeah. The mood I'm in, yeah. what, what I, what I want to feel 
for sure, for sure. Well, Bob, I appreciate you taking the time and coming on in today. My pleasure, Greg. Good talking to you. Thank you.